This is the Digital Orthopedics Podcast, bringing you insights shared from the stage at DOCSF, the Digital Orthopedics Conference hosted by the Department of Orthopedic Surgery at the University of California, San Francisco. Find out more about our conference and join our community by visiting docsf.health, docsf.health. Welcome back to the DocSF Podcast. My name is Dr. Stefano Bini, the founder and chair of the Digital Orthopedics Conference San Francisco, otherwise known as DocSF. I am your host for this podcast series. On our last podcast, we heard from Atheon, a robotics company that makes the tug robots that transport all kinds of items around hospitals autonomously. We had a great discussion about the challenges and the opportunities of implementing robots in a healthcare environment. Today, we are very excited to bring you the keynote from the DocSF19. Join our audience as we take a deep dive into blockchain and how it will impact healthcare. Like 5G and AI, there's a lot of hype around blockchain, but Sam will tell you why, in fact, that hype may be justified. Let's return to the stage of DocSF2019, where Rajit Kamal, a leader in innovation at Johnson & Johnson, one of our key sponsors, does a great job of introducing Sam. Welcome back to DocSF. Judging from the volume over in the, in the networking area, there was a lot of networking going on, which we'd love to see. And uh, you're obviously sharing your pink socks, and I've seen a lot of those are being put on, which I think is awesome. Uh, we're now coming to the keynote, and the keynote this year is going to be outstanding. And uh, Sam and I had an opportunity to go over some of the slides and the questions, and I can't wait to have the opportunity to, to speak with her after the, after the speech. In the meantime, though, to introduce her, uh, I would like to invite uh, Kamal, Rajit Kamal, who has an 11-year history in healthcare, uh, was formerly the Boston Consulting Group before joining uh, Johnson & Johnson, and his career has now led to the point where now he's the global leader for a knee replacement system and leads strategy innovation. So you're perfectly placed to, to introduce our speaker and, and, and frame the questions. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Bini. Well, it's my pleasure to introduce uh, the next keynote speaker, Sam D. Brower. You know, the organizers at DocSF spend a lot of time identifying who the right keynote speaker would be. You know, they have to be people who have done out-of-box thinking uh, in space outside of healthcare but in an area that clearly has influence for the future of medicine. They also have to be amazing human beings with very compelling life story, and they have to have a lot of energy. Uh, because I guess the, the audience at DocSF, they want to be inspired. They also want to be educated. And I'm pretty sure Sam is going to do that. Her task today is to explain how advances in technology change the very paradigm of what is possible. She will use blockchain as an example. You know, with blockchain, there is so much hype, but there's also so much fog. When people think about blockchain, they think about Bitcoin. There's a lot more to blockchain than just Bitcoin. So what has it done beyond crypto and what role can blockchain have in healthcare? Bottom line is, why should we care about blockchain? Sam's career path includes taking a European job site company called Jobscape Public in the 90s starting Star Lab for the European Union, directing advocacy for One Laptop Per Child Foundation, directing TEDx San Francisco, and being an angel investor in blockchain and crypto. 
since all this was not enough, uh, she launched Doc.ai, a blockchain-based AI platform that enables deep learning computations on quantified biology to develop personalized health insights and predictive models. You know, I've always wanted to share a stage with a rock star, and Sam is a bona fide rock star. So Sam, please welcome on stage. Thank you very much. Good morning. No pressure. So this is the most beautiful miracle I've ever seen. This is how my career as a founder, entrepreneur in tech and science started 28 years ago. My first encounter with the internet back then in Europe, I thought, wow, this is going to change my life. This is going to change the world. This is the biggest revolution I'm going to experience ever. This is what I want to do for the rest of my life. Back then, of course, the internet was pretty creepy. Um, it was still a lot of code, numbers. It was not consumer-facing. It could not scale. I even heard that we were building solutions for problems that did not exist. Look at us today. Uh, we are practically living in it. And so this is what I've done for 28 years. I've been in tech and science, and I've made a big move um, into uh, working for healthcare, with healthcare, uh, the last decade. And why have I done that. So the big thing I want to start with you uh, today is that health data doubles every 73 days. This is a huge number, but it's even bigger than you think. What does that mean? We've all heard about big data. So we are in the era of working with exa data. Very soon we'll move to zeta Yota, it's not only big, it's also very, very fast. And so when you look at the laws of physics, having velocity and mass creates a momentum. And so we are in a big momentum and physics doesn't lie. So let's believe what physics tells us. And that momentum is not only noticed by entrepreneurs like me, it's also noticed by the largest companies in the world, the companies with the largest market cap. So, you know, unfamiliar with all the big titles lately, what have, been, have they been doing? So Apple, Amazon, Google, they're doing the big heavy lifting for developers, for companies like mine, Doc.ai. For example, Apple, they started to liberate, make the data more liquid when it comes to medical records. You can now access and import your medical record information in Apple Health. Uh, they started with about 39 hospitals early 2019. They have now more than 150. So it's moving fast and it's uh, moving big. Also recently, they've got their very first FDA clearance for uh, the EEG sensor in the watch. So it's not only software, it's also, you know, in the hardware that uh, everybody is using. Uh, we've heard of Amazon, of course, with the pill company online, uh, the big announcement they're making. What we don't hear that much that is as important is the type of technology of software that they are developing uh, in AI. So I uh, Comprehend. Comprehend is a natural language tool that is also fantastic for developers, for companies like mine. It's basically reading medical information, and I'll come back to that. Alphabet investing in Oscar Health, $375 million, big number. Numbers are becoming bigger and bigger. 
You heard this week the big investment in Verily of $1 billion, and we better get used to those numbers because these, these are the kind of numbers we are going to hear more and more about. Not only uh, in the US, uh, China as well. Uh, Tencent recently invested in Babylon Health and Alibaba in uh, WeDoctor. So for uh, those who don't know, WeDoctor is the largest network of uh, doctors online um, in China. Now, the companies I just mentioned, I would argue are all becoming life tech companies because health data is the fastest growing area for them. They understand data, they understand velocity, this is where they are going. So if those companies, Facebook, Apple, uh, Amazon, and so on, are becoming life tech company, what does that mean for the healthcare industry? What does that mean for these guys? Are they all becoming tech companies? Well, they are all trying. I can you know, speak to Anthem, Anthem is a customer of DocAI, they are certainly going for being an AI-first company. Now, to use other analogies and what those transformations can mean for big companies and how, you know, how they uh, experience that, something that uh, really hit me in 2017 is when Tesla changed its name. Tesla used to be Tesla Motor, and in 2017, it was just Tesla Inc., and Tesla started to define itself as a transportation company uh, being, you know, efficient when it comes to energy consumption. Today, it's a data company. It's an AI company. Even going further, they define themselves as a robotic company, robotic for transportation. Now, another thing that struck me this year is our companies like Lyft and Uber who have been starting patient transportation. That's very interesting. So they are working with a lot of payers, health plans. And what I've heard this year at a conference in Nashville uh, where they were explaining what they were doing is that it's actually one of the fastest growing vertical. So if you understand, if you realize, if you see how they've been disrupting already transportation uh, the way they have done, they are moving heavily into health. This, is, this means big business and big transformation. Now, if we are producing so much data, we need artificial intelligence to make sense out of that data because there's no way the human brain can do it. We know that. And it's becoming bigger and bigger. We are going in the next five or 10 years going to produce much more data than we ever produced since we were born. So we need those kind of technology to be able to give sense to that data. We also need technologies like blockchain to give the users, to give the consumers, the patients, the control of that data. And there's another element I want to address because we are talking about healthcare and medical data. It's the concept of precision medicine. So precision medicine is the concept of being more precise when it comes to diagnostics, more precise, working with more precise data. This is also an exploding field. If you look at the consumer-facing genetic industry, this is exploding and price are going down. What does that mean? It's going more and more uh, to the consumer. A lot of sequencing coming at us, coming at doctors, coming at the entire industry, which means, again, we need more AI tools, more AI technology to give 
sense to make sense out, out of that data. When it comes to AI today, so there are a few subfields of AI. You hear a lot about artificial intelligence, but the subfields that are very popular right now when it comes to medical data are NLP, natural language processing. So those tools that enable us to give, you know, to extract the meaning of that medical data. Medical data is a very different beast than any other type of data. It's very hard to work with. It's very hard to extract. Uh, it's coming from different sources, different formats. You really need the right teams to do that. There's also computer vision. Computer vision has you know, become so much better because of the driverless car. This is the basic AI technology for driverless car, but computer vision is also, and I'll give you some examples, you know, one of the AI technology that we can use to extract, to collect medical information without having to type or, you know, enter information or use portals, just taking pictures or video and whoop, it's in your phone or elsewhere. And there is voice, of course. Now, when it comes to blockchain, so... Blockchain is a very interesting concept. So first of all, I want to make sure we all understand that while blockchain is described as a database, you cannot store information on the blockchain. Okay? You can only store coordinates and transactions. It's too small to store anything on it. But the blockchain is a very interesting tool because, again, it's a, it's a technology that enables you, enables us to put the information, the power at the edge the edge is the device used by the user, by the consumer, by the patient. Today, it's the phone. And so putting the, the power there, putting the control there is extremely uh, powerful uh, with all that data. So the convergence of precision medicine, artificial intelligence, and blockchain is really one of the answers to that big momentum we are experiencing. Another important element, you know, with the convergence of precision medicine, artificial intelligence, and blockchain is regulation, all right? And that's why blockchain is very important here. Because if you look at GDPR, the General Data Protection Regulation that is coming from Europe, and even if it's coming from Europe, you all know it doesn't matter, data flows. So when you have to comply, you have to comply everywhere. What is the regulator telling us? It's basically telling us it's over to use people's data without having their clear consent every time it's used. And it's over to use that data without the people generating that data, owning that data, without knowing what is going to happen with that data. This is what GDPR is telling us. We have to comply with that. And this is also what the California Consumer Privacy Act is telling us. So again, we need the tools to be able to comply in that way. And so blockchain is the ideal tool to do just that. All right. So I'm going to start to give you uh, a few very concrete examples of uh, modules, technologies, or tools that are being used already by the industry or by the users. And I want to give you a timeline here when it comes to medical data. How has it been shared, transported, and so on? And by the way, when I say share, when I started working with healthcare, uh, everybody was talking about interoperability. I was like, why are we trying to do this? What does that mean? Because one thing I understood right away is that the business models being used in healthcare are not models that are made to share the data. This is not how it works. So it's contraintuitive. So 
I kind of understood that the status quo would never, never enable or help the data sharing. That's just we. And now with the momentum that we have with the big tech companies pulling uh, out all the big guns, having the different modules to collect and extract that data to have that data melt, have those silos being melting and uh, removing the fragmentation of all that. This is finally happening and this is the timeline. So we started with paper, of course, logging in information on the medical record paper base. Then we used APIs, uh, APIs that were also connecting, you know, uh, with a medical record system. And by the way, a medical record is a billing tool. It's not an information tool. So you can put all the AI you want on it. It's going to give you a little bit, but it's not enough because it's a billing tool. It's a few points in time. It's not using real-world data. It's not continuous. So it's not the right tool for all the data we are going to generate starting now. Then we moved to importers. What are importers? So importers are modules that are put together to aggregate all the data coming from all those different APIs. And so you can see here, I'm going to try. So all those little apps, <laughs> they are importers that, for example, at DocAI we have built. So those are importers that helps you import your data from your medical records because it's integrated with Apple Health, from your Fitbit, from your genetic test, Ancestry or 23andMe, from uh, your microbiome test. We've built our own tools, AI-powered, uh, because we are moving fully into AI. So your environmental data, air quality, pollen, but also your pharmacy. So we have importers for CVS, right? and so on. But it's not enough. We have to move to AI to, uh, modules to collect all that data. And this is what we have done uh, that I'm going to share uh, on the uh, AI part. Before that, I want to mention the concept of parsers. Parsers are very important when it comes to medical data because uh, those are the modules that help. Um, that's the semantic intelligence that, uh, that is using natural language processing, another subset of AI, to help extract the meaning uh, from that unstructured data coming from all these dif those different sources. And parsers are very important, but the people uh, working with the parsers are even more important because they have domain expertise, domain knowledge that AI people don't always have. And so you still need that, of course, to, ex you know, to extract the, the right meaning. So this is how it looks like, for example, here, when you import your uh, test from Ubiome, for example, because that's an importer we have in the DocAI app. This is how it looks like. It's been extracted, the meaning is there, and it's interpreted correctly. And then there are the AI modules. Uh, so machine intelligence, like pictures and videos, that are going to extract information about your health. This is already happening. I'm going to show you a few examples. And what is even more important is that you want to put that machine intelligence on the phone. Uh, you want to do that for different reasons. So this is the age. Uh, I, I know there have been some conversations about it uh, this morning. I'm going to show you a few examples. And that's very important because putting the intelligence on the edge is improving the speed. There's, it's not going to the cloud, so it's almost in real time. It's also improving privacy and security. It's fully controlled by the users. And once you have the AI modules on the edge, you put that, you use the blockchain for the different transaction, and so you use smart contracts. And so instead of speaking of 
the blockchain and we like to move to the concept of smart contracts because those those contracts are the core of the blockchain technology and so smart contracts are computer protocols using uh, cryptography to facilitate verify or enforce a contract in a transaction uh, it allows performance of credible transactions without third parties uh, to make those transactions trackable and irreversible so here for example you see on that screen for example, you, you can collect all that data here, for example. So in the app, you imported all type of data from your medical record, genetic test, whatever, and you want to share it for research projects, for example. So the action of sharing it would go through a smart contract that would allow uh, it to do it. So a smart contract is really the combination of the, the code and what the code is supposed to do. And once all the conditions are met, that were designed in the contract for that command to be operated, the contract self-realized itself without any human being. That's where you don't have the third party. So that's why it's an ideal also technology for financial transactions. Here, for example, I wanted the last screen here is also, for example, once you are sharing the data, it's also giving you points for doing that. It's rewarding you. Uh, it's almost like a financial transaction, and it's helping you uh, also understand that your medical data is, uh, you know, has some level of financial value, and that, again, is being done via a smart contract, and I will explain that uh, a bit more in detail. So, again, very concretely, how does it look? So, it's, the DocAI app is available on the App Store. Try it. It's for free. Play with it. Uh, but it's a very concrete uh, way of of understanding how the AI and the blockchain works. So here you have all the importers. This sees how the information is all structured. That's the structured data part, omics. So for the phenome, physiome, the structured data is, is great for the AI. This is, you know, uh, column, rows, numbers. This is a great start. You can share that data to join research projects. You get, you know, points. You can track everything, but you also get personalized insights based on the data you've been collecting. And the more you collect, the more personalized are the insights. All right, so I want to show you the difference between having machine intelligence in the cloud doing all the processing in the cloud and the machine intelligence doing all the processing on the phone. Okay, so here, this is what you can do with the DocAI app. You take a picture, that picture is AI-powered, and that picture is going to predict your age, height, weight, BMI, and all kind of health predictions, and it's going to be better and better. We're adding more features. So the current um, uh, one on the cloud, this is how it's working. Okay, taking the picture. So in this case, it's taking seven seconds. It can take up to 30 seconds, which is, which is kind of long uh, in a mobile experience. So here, it, it gave the user some uh, level of predictions. When you click next, it's giving you other type of predictions. But to do that, the picture was sent to the cloud, the processing was done in the cloud, and then sent back to the user. We are already in that system using the cloud. We are already using also blockchain technology for the uh, sharing and the um, storage of uh, the picture, for example. So here, when I agree to share my picture, I push sharing, it's leaving my phone. So there is such a thing called distributed storage. So once the data is leaving your phone, it's hashed in hundreds of pieces, thousands of pieces, and then hosted over 
thousands of servers. So the points of failure are practically zero when it comes to, to security. So here, that was on the cloud. Now let me show you, and in the back end, those are all the other things that can be predicted and then push uh, to the user when the user is uh, ready. On the edge, when it's done on the phone, 23 milliseconds, and the picture didn't leave my phone. So latency, very, very short. Security is maximum because it's not leaving any, uh, you know, it's not leaving my phone and I have full control. I share it whenever I want. Nobody can share my picture from a cloud somewhere. So another thing I want to show you, it's the same concept with video because this is also the type of machine intelligence we are developing for video. And here, uh, so this is Akshay Sharma, our CTO uh, at DocAI. He's been kind enough to be my model. And so <laughs> that tool is also made available for uh, data scientists and developers. It's on the App Store. We've put everything on the GitHub. We open source everything we do. And uh, this is how it works. So this is the video. And as you can see, it's predicting age, gender in real time, and depending on the different element, it's predicting other features uh, just from the face only. So that's the type. <laughs> and it's all on the phone. We started DocAI in 2016, August 2016. So we are an AI company. This is the core of what we do. We simply leverage on what the blockchain uh, can give us. Great features for all the things I explained. And this is pretty much the, the reaction I got very early on, as you can imagine. But you remember the internet was blockchain. Is it hype? Is it, what is it doing? What does it mean? And it's, it's pretty complex. It's cryptographic which it is because it's applied cryptography. But seriously, so like I said, why is the blockchain a great technology for what we're trying to achieve here? So it's uh, an efficient and compliant way to decentralize, encrypt, distribute, share, and store valuable data. Valuable data is very important. I do not believe that there's a use case to use the blockchain if the data you're using is not considered being valuable. That's the whole point of the blockchain. After all, the blockchain is the underlying technology that was used for Bitcoin, uh, which is 10 years this year. Uh, in January, the first white paper of Bitcoin was in January 2019. Uh, uh, sorry. So, yeah, it's great because it overcomes data silos and fragmentation, which we know is a big issue with healthcare data. Very important, it guarantees the provenance of the data. Remember, it is a smart contract, verifying, no third party. So without human intervention, machine to machine, when you're dealing with valuable assets, you want to make sure that the provenance of that asset is guaranteed, right? Number two, it's ensuring privacy and security through encryption, like I said, and distributed data storage. The point of failures are minimal. So the risk for attacks, you have to attacks millions of phones instead of attacking one place. And it's helping achieving better outcomes through transparency uh, because it has a complete and unutterable history. So this is a great thing also with the blockchain. You cannot copy the data, the information. You can't. And you cannot tamper with it. So it makes it truly unique. So once the transaction is recorded, it's recorded for life. You can change the smart contract. You can redesign it. That's, of course, you can do but you cannot alter the information there. Now, again, what does that mean? So I've been showing you already in, in the case of DocAI. So here you collect structured and unstructured data if you join research projects uh, that are trying to 
uh, build new predictive models, you get personalized insights. And here, this is a great thing. So you actually get feedback from all that data you've been sharing in the research. It's not like I share my data and then it's a black box. I don't know what's happening with it. No, you get, you know, visualization of the triggers, the patterns, and so on. You also get points for doing that, for tracking, for, you know, keeping on sharing how you feel or keep on sharing the data or help build the models. And you have a wallet where all the points you've been earning are in the wallet and you can exchange those points for Amazon gift cards, the largest you know, <laughs> supermarket in the world. You can practically buy anything on Amazon. So it makes those points very, very liquid. But you can see here the level of engagement you can have. You collect in a very secure way. You have the value of your data in real time. You can share that data. You get predictive insights. You help accelerate research, and so on and so on. Now, talking about predictive models, I talked about predictive insights for the users and, and so on. So when it comes to predictive models with DocAI, for example, so the research I just mentioned are called data trial. In other words, they are observational trial that people can join where they can share their real-life uh, data in a continuous way because they want to help accelerate research. They also want to get predictive insights from that research and they get rewarded. All right. So the type of research we're talking about here are the following. So the first data trial we pushed uh, late August on DocAI is can artificial intelligence predict your risk for allergies. It's RB approved, up and running. Our own research team is working together with the team of Harvard, Chirac Patel, and Arjun Manrai, experts in exposomics and genomics. And there we're trying to develop a framework for using machine learning where people collect their phenome information, they take a selfie, their physiome, their physical activity via Apple Health or Fitbit, and the exposome via the tool we have developed. They collect where they live, the air quality, just by entering their zip code. And there we try to identify if there's an effective model to predict allergy and asthma. Now, what happened with that project was pretty interesting. This project was designed for 2,000 uh, participants. We recruited 2,000 participants in less than 10 weeks. But it's not only recruiting, having them comply with informed consent and so on. People have been sharing their data, tracking their data. Uh, they have insights. It's alive. The project is alive. And we have 8,000 people on the waiting list. The protocols are only for 2,000 people, but we have 8,000 people waiting to join the research. Other type of research, and by the way, this is a premier, you are the first one to hear about it. This is a project research we are pushing tomorrow in the app. Can artificial intelligence predict the optimal supplements for Crohn and colitis? RB approved. So here, it's a framework we are going to try to understand if machine learning can build a model, a predictive model uh, for the best supplement. People with Crohn and colitis take supplements, but there's a lot of trial and error. They don't know what's really working for them, if it even have an impact. They will collect their microbiome, physiome, phenome, sorry, there's a small typo there, uh, exposome to identify if there's an effective model to predict the most optimal supplement. And there, that's a very interesting project because this was initiated by a patient network. I met Sean Ahrens three years ago, and Sean is the founder of Chronology, which is a patient network platform for people who have Crohn's and colitis. He's also a patient advocate at DocAI. And so he came with the idea, you know, we take supplements. Do you think machine learning could help? He said, I don't know, let's try. And then Dr. Uh, Shala from uh, Kansas City, who uh, gastroenterologist is also the author of uh, 
probiotics for dummies, which I find really funny, <laughs> shows how much he wants to, you know, consumerize his work. So that's the, the second data trial um, that we are pushing. And the third one that we are pushing that is also RAB approved is can AI predict the most optimal anti-epileptic drug? And there it's uh, together with Stanford, Stanford RAB, together with Robert Fisher, the head of the epilepsy lab, Dennis Wall. We want to understand if machine learning can predict the most optimal anti-epileptic drug. There's so much trial and error when it comes to drug, especially anti-epileptic, but many other disciplines. So by collecting, you know, all these omics, we want to see if they are, if we can be more precise. Again, that's the idea of precision medicine. So precision medicine is not only good for new type of, you know, develop new drugs. It's also great for simply having more precise uh, treatments uh, and diagnostics for patients. And by the way, here, a lot of medical doctors involved in those projects because we talk a lot about tech and AI and blockchain. This is computer science. This is great. But we need a lot of domain expertise. AI, computer science alone is not enough. You really want the deep knowledge perspective of the medical doctor to help in the building of the AI. Now, another thing I want to come back to, it's uh, the concept of valuable data, because I think this is core in the conversation we are having. So I think that when you are in healthcare, you and I, we all know that medical data is very valuable. Okay. Everybody knows that, but the patient, they have no clue. They share their data all the time. They sign in from consent. They don't know that that data is so valuable. Now, it is. And I think, why do I like the blockchain? I love it because for me, it has the ethos of the open source community with the features of the free market. And I think that's an idle competition to bring the symmetry that we have been missing in healthcare forever. All right. So I think this, when we talk about value-based care, healthcare, what does that mean? I'm not really sure. What I understand is investing in people so that they can invest in their health and, you know, not ignoring the financial aspect so that patients and consumers can be part of the financial element, I think is very engaging. And the blockchain can help doing that. Why? Because again, you remember, the blockchain is an idle place for exchange of valuable assets. Medical data is a valuable asset. And a valuable asset is a currency. So medical data is becoming a programmable currency because a smart contract helps you program that transaction. That is very powerful. So you remember, and again, blockchain has a lot of issues, okay? It's very hard to scale, very expensive. That's why now we're working with a combination of public chain, private chain, side chains, and so on. You cannot do everything with a public chain. However, you remember, it's very, very early. It's a bit like the early days of the internet. It's very cryptic. It's cryptography. It's hard to understand. It's a lot of code. Yes, it is. But guess what? Everybody is working at adding those extra layers of translation so that it can become more friendly, consumer-facing. Okay? So we come from a world where we've been using historic data, you know, log in paper or API coming from medical record. And we are moving to a world where we're going to use much more precision data coming from sequencing. Sequencing is exploding, it's cheaper, but it's not only medical data, it's all kind of data that is coming at us. 
We've been using the cloud and we still use the cloud. That's not going to go away. However, there's a lot of, lot of uh, value to use the edge, to use the devices that people are uh, using for the computing, the processing, and even the storage. So the AI on the edge makes total sense if you want to put the power at the edge, the power in the end of the consumers. Smartphones are everywhere. We all know that. Great mobile infrastructure all over the world. I won't develop too much, but one very important topic is 5G. 5G is coming at us big time. Uh, so we are entering a 5G-powered internal of uh, Internet of Things world. So uh, what does that mean? And clearly, the tech industry knows that. They really understand those kind of things, especially when the momentum is here. We are entering an ecosystem where everything will be learning all the time. Okay, anything that we will not be learning all the time in the 21st century, any system not learning will disappear. Everything will be connected, okay, and we'll have to connect the dots more and more to process, make sense, all that, uh, make sense out of that information. Streaming, there are cameras everywhere, converging, and everything will be more precise. Okay, I want to leave you with uh, a last thought. So, this is Nelson. Nelson is my youngest son. He's 19 years old. And Nelson has suffered a severe trauma brain injury when he was five years old. Now, that was actually in 2004, five. That was my real deep dive into healthcare. I came to realize that, you know, I love doctors. They're my best friends. I understand the beauty of medicine, but I also understand its limitation. And so my big realization is that our health it doesn't matter if you look at it from a medicine perspective or a healthcare perspective, it's a huge research project. There are so many questions that are unanswered. And the more questions we ask, the more questions we have. So it's just, yeah. Does that make us all researchers? I would argue that yes, it does. And I think we finally have all these tools to connect us all patients, researchers, doctors, the healthcare industry, so that we can work together, share, make sense, all of that data, and, you know, all beneficiate of that value of that data, not only to have personalized insights, but, you know, also uh, why not have some financial incentive. But also, AI and blockchain are fields of the computer science. And I think that our health is much too important to be left in the hands of the computer scientists alone. At the same time, our health is much too important to be left in the hand of the healthcare industry alone. Thank you. Outstanding. <laughs> Thank you. So I think once again, you delivered for us in terms of opening up our minds and our thought processes and things we can think about. And you know, we have about uh, a few minutes here to, to, to delve deeper into some of these thoughts. And I think you left us with a very, um, a very uh, interesting question mark is like health, our health is too, too, too valuable. And when you say the word valuable, we come back to this question of health data having value which then creates a marketplace, which then creates opportunities. And so I wanted to just go quickly to this idea of what, where do you think, how do you think the business model of healthcare may change once the blockchain enables us to quantify the value of data? Okay, so those are very hard questions, of course, always. I don't have a crystal ball. However, I think that 
I've been really wanting and waiting for this market to shift from a seller's market to a buyer's market uh, for such a long time. And I feel like it's happening now because, again, the momentum is here. So it's not only patients asking for that. We want, you know, better insights, better access, better service, better everything. I think doctors and the entire healthcare industry wants that as well. And everything has become so expensive. It's crazy. So it's, it's good for everybody. So in the terms of going for a marketplace, you also need, you know, the right element for that and i think the shift is coming and um i um when we met earlier it's like i recalled our conversation i had I, i got so excited you came up with some very interesting thoughts that i want to even though we didn't touch them here i would like to bring them out a little bit this technology sharing versus owning i never heard that concept uh, personally before can you share with the audience what you shared with me earlier yeah so you see the thing is it's not really So there's a big paradox there. I think it's important to own your data in order to make it better. You cannot improve what you don't own and what you don't know, but also what you don't own. It's like when you own a house, you'll probably take better care of the house when you own it than when you don't. And so it makes total sense to own it. However, once you have the tools that you know, enables you to share that data in a very transparent way that helps build trust. And so owning the data even doesn't matter anymore. You know, as long as you can share it, you know, it's safe, it's secure. So I think that if we, if we agree that we are all, you know, in that big research projects, uh, what is more important, owning the data or sharing the data? So one wonders whether, you know, we just had this issue with Facebook, right? The mm-hmm. data was shared and used for nefarious purposes. And um, I can c- download your app. I can c- take a picture. I can l- download my my data. And it can predict my potential age, which then can impact my ability to get a job, uh, my ability to get insurance. Uh, to the extent that I have that data I want to share for research purposes, how do I, is there a way for the blockchain to ensure that that data doesn't get then forwarded again to somewhere else? Is there a way to encrypt in such a way it only can be opened once? Yeah, so it's, it's exactly. So it's not only encrypted, it's, it's transparent. So you really, you can follow all the transactions and what's happening. So that's the idea of being all transparent and the idea of not being able to temper. The, nobody can temper the data. You cannot do it. No one else can do it. Also, this idea of sharing is something you have in your full control, which you don't have with Facebook, for example, which is a very interesting example. And this is a great example to to share why it's so important not only to own your data, but to understand when you can share it, where you can share it, once it's done, where is it going? Is it going to be shared by, you know, with 10 people, 20 people. So those are the things you would have in your control and that you would be able to follow in real time even. And also the idea of having that on your phone. It's not only about the data, it's also about the algorithms. You want the AI to be on your phone, to be processed for you as well. That's It's your data and it's your almost your algorithm. And uh, twice today already we've been talking about uh, computing at the edge. And the edge really being the, the point of use, the, 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 whether it's on the cell phone, your laptop, and moving away from the cloud. That almost sounds like an app to me. Is that really just an app moving it to the edge? Or where's the variation between what we have now, which is apps on my phone versus cloud computing versus 
Exactly. Well, so most, so most things you have on your phone right now, I was showing, so you have stuff on your phone, but once it starts processing, it's, it has to leave your phone to be processed in the cloud. And then it comes back to your phone. So between your phone and the cloud, a lot of stuff can happen, but also in the cloud, a lot of stuff can happen. So think of all the horror stories we've heard about hacking. Having it on the edge and having the processing on your phone instead of having it in the cloud would mean that if anyone or any, I don't know, anything bad intention would like to be made against a specific set of data, then they would have to attack millions of phones, which it's the concept of having one vault in the bank or having millions of volts everywhere, having each a piece of the information. So Plus it's double encrypted, it's hashed when it leaves your phone and all that. The edge thing is what's interesting to me, because one of the problems that the FDA is struggling with, with sensors within implantable devices, is the potential that that data can be accessed. And in order for that data, for, for an implantable device to have intelligence, it has to share currently to the cloud. Yeah. But if we can move the intelligence to the device, yeah. Then it opens it's, up a whole opportunity for us to look at smart devices. It's we very exciting. We, we presented at our work at NeurIPS in Montreal a few weeks ago. Uh, we got selected to present. Uh, the, and, and we pushed an app for data scientists to, you know, to build upon that technology. We want to share it with the rest of the world. It's called NetRunner. It's on the App Store. <laughs> it's free. And so, yeah, this is, this is where it's going. And it is very exciting. The potential is very exciting. You know, this is, I started with the internet. I think where the internet has failed big time. It's very interesting that Walt Disney is pushing a movie sharing that you can break the internet. We're telling our kids already that we can break the internet, which is true, by the way. So what we can solve with all the things we discuss is uh, we can solve the things where the internet has failed, which is uh, security, privacy, but also identity. And those are really the great features uh, that you can leverage on with the blockchain technology. And in, in the last minute, I want to focus on one thing you also mentioned, is that not all data needs this level of privacy, right? So we're going to talk a little bit about very the not all I mean, I think the way Fraser was that not all data um, is valuable. No, Before I, I we, think because we can't put yeah. all healthcare data on the internet through. I mean, we can't put we can't use the blockchain for running an entire healthcare system. The energy required for that would be crazy. But there are some elements of those transactions, some of those data points, which are more important than others, right? So as people out there saying, "Well, we can't put an entire healthcare system on the internet," what what kind of data are you thinking about has? valuable, again, thinking about this data as valuable, would be the kind of that you would see being appropriate for the, for the blockchain? Oh, okay. So there are two things here. So again, so I want to repeat that we cannot store on the blockchain. We store transactions mm -hmm. and, and so on. So uh, when it comes to the value of, of the data, you know, it's uh, data is uh, its own... It depends on the point of view. It depends on the industry we're talking about. So for healthcare, I'm, I'm dealing with medical data. Right now with DocAI, the ecosystem we've built, we're still learning a lot. So we are working with structured data coming from sequencing, like I said. We are working with unstructured data uh, coming from self-reported information coming from the user. But I mentioned tools, so as the exposomic tool where you can import data coming from the environment 
What is the value of your environmental data? I don't know. That's why we need a marketplace. It's supply and demand. I have no idea. And I think this is also one of the very exciting things. Things will evolve. What is valuable? When is it valuable? I think we are entering a world where, you know, we all understand the concept of data science and what it has done and how granular we can be uh, with the different type of uh, models we are building. When it comes to biological data, I think it's very exciting because we're talking about millions of genes, but we, we don't know their value. This is still something we need to experiment with, depending on supply and demand. And the data of my son, for example, is very valuable for me. I know exactly what I want to know. So therefore, it's valuable for me. It might be absolutely not valuable for you. Again, context matter in those situations. I'll leave with that. Context matters. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Get up, Sam DeBroyer. Thank you so much, Sam. Appreciate you being here with us today. Our team at DocSF prides itself on bringing amazing people to the stage who can make a story come alive and provide a compelling argument for why we should lead the way in the adoption of new technologies. For the keynotes, we look deep and hard to bring people whose work just outside the traditional boundaries of healthcare can inform our future paths in the medical space. Sam's outstanding discussion of blockchain was a highlight of DocSF19, and we hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. In our next podcast, number four in the series, we change gears and hear from a group of speakers who will highlight technologies that will need our attention in the immediate future. We call these sessions our quick takes, and we invite you to join us on our next podcast. We hope you enjoyed listening to these presentations delivered in San Francisco from the DocSF stage in early January 2019. We thank you for joining our journey as we catalyze the adoption of digital health tools in healthcare and use orthopedics as the uniting paradigm. Please become part of our community at docsf.health. We want to work with you to make the future of healthcare present. I am your host, Stefano Bini, on the Digital Orthopedics Podcast from DocSF. Farewell for now.